The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, it's good to be here, and uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I do want to invite you to come back tomorrow morning, um, Christmas Day only falls on a Sunday once every seven years or so, and uh, tomorrow it happens to be both Sunday and Christmas Day, and so I've got a special message that I'll be bringing to you, and it's different than tonight, so I do want to invite you to come back for that, and then of course next weekend being the first weekend of the new year, um, God has given me a word for this house, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Um, I was thinking and meditating on that earlier today on this walk that I took, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So definitely you'll want to come back for that as well. And then um, uh, the other thing I wanted to share is a meme. You know, they have, they've got all these funny Christmas memes that pop up. Well, a friend of mine here in the office sent me this one, and I got a kick out of it, so I wanted to share it with you. It says down at the bottom, just to be clear, this is for your birthday and for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you get your birthday close to Christmas, it's got to cover two bases, so. Anyways, welcome to Maranatha. If you're a visitor, we're so glad that you're able to join us this evening, and I would love it if we could begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Jesus, we love you, and we are in your house celebrating the fact that you came, that you drew near to us, that you left heaven on a rescue mission, and we were lost and hopeless and helpless. But Jesus, your love compelled you to come down and to live this perfect life in our place and to die the death that we deserve so that we could have the future of forgiveness, empowerment, and heaven. And so, Lord, as we remember and rehearse and revisit the, the familiar story of that first Christmas, I pray that you would grace us with your presence and illuminate this passage of Scripture so that we could see it, as it were, for the first time and be captured once again with a sense of awe and amazement at this God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We pray and ask all these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So the theme of this message that I want to bring to you tonight is this idea of wonder, wonder. There's that song that we sing around this time of year that goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, we sing that song and, and when something is wonderful, it's full of wonder and inspires awe or amazement. And yet for many of us, while it is in fact the most wonderful time of the year, let's be honest, it can also be a time full of stress and anxiety. There are all those parties that we have to attend. There's the gifts, those last minute gifts that we have to purchase and buy. And there's places that we have to go. And so if we're not careful, at the end of Christmas, we can find ourselves buried under tinsel and ornaments and wrapping paper and the season has passed us by. So for me, one of the best ways that I've found to maintain or preserve that, that sense of awe or wonder with Christmas is to view it through the eyes of my kids. 
And, and maybe for you, it's your grandkids or friends' kids. But when you see Christmas through the eyes of children, it springs to life with all kinds of magic, whether it's counting down the days on the Advent calendar or sitting on the couch and snuggling up and watching the Grinch or searching for the elf on the shelf. There's just something magical about kids and the holidays that helps us keep or maintain or even recapture that sense of wonder. And so, too, when it comes to this very familiar story that we're about to read through together, I think that it can almost become white noise because we're so familiar with all of the characters and we know the plot and we know the crescendo and there's Jesus in the manger and the angels and the shepherds and all the rest. And so to keep it from becoming just another story, something that I found that's helpful is to go back and to review the story through the eyes of those who were actually there. And so that's what I want to do with our time together tonight. I, I want to revisit this familiar story through the eyes of the shepherds. And we find that story in Luke chapter 2. And so as the curtains rise, we have Mary and Joseph. They've made their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem because this guy named Caesar Augustus had made this decree that everyone had to go to the place of their ancestral birth and to pay taxes. And, and so it was about a 90-mile trek. Remember, Mary at this point is about nine months pregnant with Jesus and the only means of transportation they had would have been perhaps a mule or a donkey or a horse. So ladies, how many of you would be excited to hop on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant and travel 90 miles? It would have taken about four or five days. Imagine what that must have been like. And yet they had to go, and so they made their way there. And of course, this familiar part of the story, once they get to town, Joseph runs and knocks on the door of every inn, only to find no vacancy signs and shuttered blinds and shrugged shoulders of innkeepers saying, I'm sorry. And finally, he finds one guy who says, well, I don't have any rooms either, but there's a stable around back. And if you want to, you can use that. And and that's where we'll pick up our story. It says in verse 6 that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good no news that will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
Let me draw your attention to that last phrase there in verse 18. It says, all who heard them were amazed at what the shepherds told them. The word translated amazed there is the Greek word thamazo, and it means to wonder or to marvel or to be struck with astonishment. A good modern English equivalent might be the word gobsmacked or flabbergasted. And it's a word that shows up repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And in most instances where you find it, it is used in connection with the miracles of Jesus. So people would encounter Jesus, experience Jesus, be on the receiving end of one of those miraculous touches, and they would be amazed. They would be thamazoed. So we're told of one instance where the disciples are there with Jesus on this boat and the the waves are beating against the side of the boat and the wind is blowing and the rain is falling and the disciples are scared. And so they wake up Jesus who had fallen asleep in the front of the boat. And Jesus stands up and he wipes the sleep from his eyes and he speaks a word. And the wind calms and the waves die and the sea becomes calm and placid. And it says that the disciples, when they saw the power of his words, they were thamazoed, filled with wonder. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? On another occasion, we're told of a man who was both deaf and mute. And Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and he opened his ears and the man could suddenly speak. And the crowds were thamazoed because of the power of this man who could heal the deaf and loose the tongue of the mute. And then there's that occasion where Peter, after Jesus had been crucified on the cross, and this is the third day since that had happened, and he'd heard reports from the women that the tomb was empty, and so Peter goes running to the tomb, and he stoops down, and he looks in, and he sees the the cloths that had been used to bind Jesus lying there, and they're folded up, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. The stone's been rolled away, and it says that Peter was thamazoed. He marveled. He was amazed. He wondered. You see, Jesus filled people with wonder everywhere he went. He was a wonderful God. And so perhaps it should come as no surprise to us that his birth also amazed people as well. And yet this night that ends in wonder began as any other night with a bunch of shepherds sitting there on the Judean hillsides, keeping their flocks by night. And as they sat there and conversed with one another under the veil of darkness and an inky black sky, suddenly the whole sky was illuminated with the radiant light of an angelic being. And the angel describes to them this good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, it's curious to me a couple of things about the way God chose to announce his arrival. Think about with me how you might make the announcement, right? If you had one shot, one chance to tell the world that you have sent your son to redeem humanity, how might you go about it? Well, let's look at how God did it. First notice when the announcement was made. He comes at night, not in the middle of the day, but he comes at night when most people are sleeping. Secondly, he sends the angel to make the announcement in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was hardly a bubbling metropolis. It wasn't the political epicenter of the world or the intellectual epicenter of the world. It wasn't even the religious epicenter of the world. That was Jerusalem, a handful of miles away. 
So that's where he came and that's when he came. But now thirdly notice to whom God chose to make his announcement. He makes the world's biggest announcement to a bunch of shepherds. Keep in mind, once again, this is the most important announcement in the history of the world. 4,000 years of human history has been building up to this climactic crescendo. We would have expected that God would gather the elite, the powerful, the VIPs of the world, and he would make his announcement at noon in perhaps the palaces of Rome or maybe the pyramids of Giza or perhaps even the temple there in Jerusalem. But no, instead, he comes at night to an out-of-the-way place, and he makes his announcement to a bunch of shepherds. You see, shepherds weren't exactly on the top of the socioeconomic ladder. It's true that many of Israel's greatest heroes had started out as shepherds, and yet by the time Jesus shows up, shepherds were looked down upon. They were considered untrustworthy and disreputable. They couldn't even serve in a court or hold an office or give a witness. One rabbi of the time was quoted as saying, there's no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. So a question that I want to consider with you for a second is, why would Jesus choose to make this announcement to shepherds? And I have a thought. I think in doing it that way. God was giving us a window into who he came for. You see, who the angels made the announcement to tells us who God was coming for. He came for not the powerful, not the polished, not the perfect, but instead his messages for the broken and the hurting and the humble and the meek. The message of the gospel, yes and amen. It's not, for the dis- it's not for those who have their act together and are put together. No, no, no. It's for the defi- despised and rejected. It's for the shepherds. In other words, it's for people like you and me. I love what author Max Lucado said. He said, and I quote, had the angel gone to theologians, they would have first consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful They would have first looked at their calendars. So he went to the shepherds, men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an ax to grind or a ladder to climb, men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feeding trough. This is who the Christmas message is for. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all those humble, all those willing to come, all those to take God at face value. And notice, too, the message, it's good news that causes great joy for all people. Now, it seems, especially in our world today, that anything can be news. But not everything is newsworthy. And journalists say that the best, most important, most impactful news stories share these five key characteristics. Number one, that news has to be unusual, right? And unusual news, it's clickbait. You tend to click more on a story that says man bites dog rather than dog bites man. It's just more unusual. It also needs to be vital. Number three, it needs to concern a prominent figure. If the president breaks his leg, that's news that everyone wants to know about. Fourthly, it should be personal. In other words, it should impact all of us. If they're going to raise the tax rates, that's something we all want to know about. And fifthly, and finally, it should be timely. Well, the angels' news met all five of those criteria. It was unusual in this sense. In the Christmas story, God invades time and space 
That's unusual. Even the most gifted Hollywood screenwriter couldn't come up with a screenplay that unusual. It was also vital. You see, we all need a savior. Number three, it concerned a prominent person, the Messiah, God himself. It was also personal. The savior has been born to you. And fifth and finally, it was timely. He says the savior has been born today. And so this was a newsworthy event by all metrics and standards. But notice with me the one difference between this news and most of the news that we encounter on a daily basis. This is good news. Amen. It's the best news. You know as well as I do that you turn on the TV or you scroll on your phone to your preferred news channel and it's Bad news after bad news after bad news. But this is some real good news. Now, the Greek word for good news is evangelion. It's the same word from which we get our word evangel or evangelism or gospel from. The good news that God left heaven on a rescue mission to come to this earth. It was, it was used in the ancient world to describe an event that was monumental, that was earth-shattering and history-defining and life-altering. So when the armies of Rome would go and win a decisive victory on the battlefield, or perhaps they would defend against an invading army, a herald would be sent to the furthest corners of the kingdom to proclaim the gospel, the good news that we've won. And that's what this good news is. It is the good news that God has defeated our common enemies of Satan, sin, hell, and death. That is life-altering, <laughs> history-making, and world-shaping. And it's good news for you personally. Because every one of us has been defeated by sin. And because of that, we were under sin's penalty. The Bible says that we're all slaves and captives to sin and that the sentence of death hung over the heads of all humanity. That is until Jesus came. And he became like us. He walked, as it were, a mile in our shoes. He came down. He drew near and became like us so we could become like him. Ben said he lived the life that we could never live and then died the death that we deserve so that we could spend forever with him in heaven. And that's why God sent Jesus. I love this quote. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so he sent his only son, Jesus. This is good news. And the angel says it's for all people, but it's also for you specifically. And here's the sign, the angel says, that you can know that what I'm telling you is actually true. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And I love the fact that the angel didn't expect the shepherds to take his word for it. Instead, he invited them to investigate what he had just shared with them for themselves. The manger certainly was unusual to find a baby in, and it would have narrowed their search for the child. I mean, not too many moms are putting their babies in mangers, right? You've heard that mangers weren't cribs. They were feeding troughs that were used for animals. So all the shepherds had to do was run to Bethlehem and visit the few stables that might be there. And whichever one had the baby in it, that was their sign. But it wasn't just unusual. And this is what I want to draw you to, because this was a new revelation for me this year. 
in addition to being unusual, it was also prophetic. You see, they weren't, these weren't just any shepherds there on the hills of Bethlehem. No, these were the temple shepherds that were responsible for raising the sheep that would be used in the temple sacrifices there in Jerusalem. Every year annually at the Passover, upwards of 250,000 sheep would be slaughtered as sacrificial lambs. And these were the temple priests that were responsible for raising those lambs. And every firstborn male lamb was set aside for sacrifice. And what they would do is when the mother of the lamb had given birth, they would take it and they would bind it. They would wrap it up in cloth, special cloths from the temple. And then they would lay it in a manger. Why? to inspect the lamb and to make sure that it was without spot or without blemish so that, it, so that it could be used. And then those lambs would be set aside for their appointment. So how fitting then that these shepherds, these temple shepherds responsible for inspecting the lambs would be sent to Bethlehem and they would see the sign of the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, not just any lamb, but God's lamb sent to redeem humanity. It would be about 33 years later that John the Baptist would see Jesus walking along the, the banks of the Jordan River and he would there declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb and that would have not been lost on these shepherds. So they say, go search. And then suddenly, verse 13, a great company of the heavenly host was seen joining this one angel. At first, it's a single angel, but now there's a host. And the word host there describes an army, an army of angels. Who knows how big they are? They probably filled the whole nighttime sky. And, and in that instant, the night gave way to the brightness of the glory, the Shekinah, the radiance of this heavenly host as they declare glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace upon those whom his favor rests. And by the way, in a world filled with turbulence and war and heartache, there is a peace that God can bring to the heart that is surrendered to him. It's a peace that is unlike the peace the world gives. The peace that you find in this world is tied to things going according to plan. But the peace that God gives is like an anchor for the soul and it buoys and steadies the heart. And, and no matter what you encounter, you can walk through the darkest nights and the toughest trials and have peace in your heart if you're at peace with God. You see, you won't know peace in here until you have peace with him. And so peace rests upon them. And so when the angels had left them, verse 15, the shepherd said, let's go. And they run to Bethlehem and they find things just as the angel had told them. And can't you imagine them in wide eyed wonder and bewilderment turning to one another and saying, oh, my gosh, it's just like the angels said. And before long, they run into the baby and and they they return and they share the news with everyone they meet. And so as we close this evening, I want to I want to leave you with an invitation it's the same invitation that the angel gave to the shepherds. And it's an invitation not to take my word for it, but to examine for yourselves, to go tonight right here in your mind's eye back to that stable. And I want you to look down into that manger, into that feeding trough and see that baby. And I want you to be filled with wonder.
to know that the same baby that fit in Mary's arms on that night was the same omnipotent God that spoke into existence the very cosmos. Those tiny little fingers that delicately wrapped themselves around Mary's finger were the same fingers that span the entire universe in the palm of the hand. The tiny little voice that filled the air that night is the same voice that spoke to the waves and the wind and they obeyed him, that spoke to leprosy and it fled, that spoke to people who were oppressed by demons and dark forces and they were driven out. It's the same voice that healed the sick and raised the dead. Those same hands and those same feet that were cuddled up in that cloth would be pierced through with nails for the sins of the world. And I want you to recognize in this moment that the baby is almighty God. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You see, the child that was born is the son that was given. From earth's vantage point, the child is born. From heaven's vantage point, the son is given. And the governments easily rest upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called the Almighty God, the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. And he wants to make his home inside of your heart tonight. Let this fill you with wonder. You see, if he was willing to to lie in that feeding trough, then just maybe he'd be willing to make his home within the dingy confines of our hearts. Our hearts are not unlike that manger. They're grimy, they're gross, they're filled with stains from sin. But the same God who is willing to condescend and leave heaven and come to this earth and be laid in a manger, he's willing to come into the room of your heart and dwell there as your king and bring his peace to bear in your lives. Be the mazod. Be filled with wonder. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this glorious evening, this incredible story that's more than just a story. And as we revisit it tonight and view it through the eyes of the shepherd, I pray that you would instill within us the same bewilderment, the same amazement, the same wonder that captivated their hearts that you would be willing to dwell within human hearts, something so humble, something so lowly, something so dingy, and I speak for myself. Lord, you humbled yourself so that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And to as many as received him, the Bible says to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. You can be welcomed into the Lord's family. You can have your past forgiven. You can be empowered tonight to overcome those bondages, those addictions, those things that haunt you. You can be forgiven of your past and have your guilt and shame removed. If that's the desire of your heart, I want to lead you in a prayer. You can just repeat this prayer after me. Just say it out loud. Say it from the bottom of your heart. And Jesus, according to his promise, will come in. He will fellowship with you. He will wipe your sins away and remove them as far as the east is from the west. You can celebrate your spiritual birthday on the eve of Jesus' physical birthday. How great is that? And the Bible tells us that in that moment when you surrender your heart to him, his peace will flood your heart. His joy will fill you. His love will overflow you and you'll never be the same. If 
If that's the desire of your heart, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And all those who know and love the Lord, we can just renew our vows right now and say it all over again. Say, dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to live the perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to rise victorious so that I could share in your victory. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me in the way of everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.